You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I thought about Jesus when he was coming into Jerusalem. And the Bible said that he was on the colt. Uh, a donkey that had never been ridden before. And as he came in, people began to line the streets. They began to celebrate and, and, and worship. And the religious leaders came out and told the people that they needed to quiet it down. And Jesus, I believe, started laughing. He said, if these people quit worshiping me, the rocks will start crying out. And boy, what a testimony. Yes. Uh, Therese, I don't know if this is the Lord. I think it is. But uh, we've got to fix this water problem in Jackson. Sheila and I don't have a lot. But um, Sheila and I want to begin a fund. Sheila doesn't even know this. I just felt like, I just felt just now that God was telling me that the church, Christian people need to do something. So we want to start it off. We're going to give $1,000. And uh, believe you me, that's a sacrifice for us. I'm not, I'm not looking for any applause or anything. That's a small token of what it will take. But why can't the body of Christ be challenged to solve this problem? Who said that the federal government needed to solve this problem? Is it not possible that God's people can join together? Hey, listen, the suburbs can sit out there and act like this is not their problem. But for every profession, professing Christian, man or woman who calls themselves a Christian, it is their problem. It, hey, this is not Brandon Clinton. This is not uh, Madison Glutstadt. It's not their problem. It is the problem of God's people. If we can put water wells in Zimbabwe, we can put them here in Jackson. We do what we have to do. So, you know, let's, let's start this now. It's more than gathering drinking water. It's fixing the problem. We do this. Southern Baptists do this all over the world. And we should be challenged to do it in this city. So let's make this our commitment right now. You go back, you pray, and you give whatever God would lead you to do. We'll trust Therese. Therese is a person that's been with WLBT. She's been with the media. She now uh, has a, 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 an app, uh, something I have on my phone. It scares me to death every time it goes off. Dark Horse Press. But uh, we're going to trust you to help us implement this and begin to put it forward. This call is going all over the country. People all over the country. I had a man in Phoenix, listen, he, was, he used a little crude language, but he wasn't happy. And he wanted to be a part of the solution. We want to be a part of the solution. And all God's people said, amen. well, amen. And Lord, that's our prayer. So children, we'll get to let you start making your way to a Children's Church. And while they're doing that, I want to challenge you to take your Bible this morning and turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21, and we're going to read through to verse 43. 
Mark 21. How many of you, I mean, Mark chapter 5. How many of you have your Bible? Say amen. amen. How many have your, uh, your Bible app on your phone? Say amen. amen. How many of you don't have anything and you're ashamed? Say amen. No, I'm teaching. Find you a Bible. We have them there in the, in the seat right there in front of you. You know, every once in a while, people will ask me, can I take this Bible with me? Listen, if you do not have a Bible, I know the people that gave those Bibles, it would tickle them pink to see you leave with that Bible. So uh, you take that Bible with you if you need a Bible. Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there seeing Jesus. He fell at his feet, pleading with him earnestly. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. It's been all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from that suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? <laughs> you, you see the people crowding around you, Lord? His disciples asked, answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Everybody looked this way. They would hire, the wealthy would hire mourners. Poor, when the poor man or woman lost a family member, they had to have two people playing two flutes and one person to wail. If you were rich, you had several people playing flutes and they, they would tear their clothing and wail. They were hired to do this to kind of pump the crowd and get everybody to wailing. 
Levitical, they, not Levitical law, the Pharisees had 39 rules and regulations as to how you tore your garments when you were welling. See why Jesus had such a hard time with how these people were being treated. He went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and welling? The child is not dead, but asleep. Again, look this way. When you go to sleep, you're not aware of anything going on around you. And if you sleep like my wife, you're surely not. Uh, for many of you, when you go to sleep, you go sound to sleep, nothing can wake you. You're out. You can't hear a conversation. You don't know anything going on. You're out. You're asleep. You're not aware of your environment until you wake up. It's a beautiful way of Jesus talking about death. He said, why all this commotion and welling? The child is not dead but asleep. But they did what? What did they do? The Bible literally in the Greek said they laughed him to scorn. I love this. After what? Do you see that? After he did what? He put them all out. Jesus was a man's man. He turned, when he turned tables over in the temple, they weighed as much as that piano there. That's what kind of man. He was a carpenter. He made his living with his hands. He was a man's man. The Bible said he told them to quiet down. When they didn't quiet down, he threw them out of the funeral. So you people need to leave. By that time, they were laughing anyway. So after he put them out, all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them, and he went in where the child was. He went in with people who believed, who had faith. He took her by the hand and said to her, in the language that he spoke Arabic, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up. She walked around. She was 12 years old. And, and, and literally, little girl, he was saying, my little lamb. Immediately, the girl stood up. She walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to take her to McDonald's and buy her Happy Meal. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, dear Lord, for the tenderness and compassion and the mercy. We thank you, dear Lord, for the kindness of death, for the follower of Christ, the believer, absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. Lord, we are not dead. We sleep. A picture of a peaceful calmness that should come over us and remind us that those that we have lost are no longer asleep and the idea that we would think of sleep, but they are asleep in Jesus, meaning they are settled and at peace now in heaven and they wait on us. Help us to be faithful. And if there's one here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that today, Jesus, they would invite you to come into their heart and that they would know this peace. Lord, forgive me where I fail you. Use me as a tool in your hand.
And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. When we were living in Zimbabwe, um, we were sitting at the table one day, we were eating, when Amy got a bone stuck, our oldest child, Amy got a bone stuck in her throat. It was a chicken bone. And she's choking and, and making this sound. And at the same time, Sheila screams and begins to cry out, looking at me, do something. And uh, boy, you want to you be scared. You want to be frightened. You want fear to come over you. You be in a third world country where you don't call an ambulance. You don't necessarily go to the ER. And I'm reaching down into her throat. I was a former EMT, but I'm reaching down into her throat trying to dislodge this bone that is in her throat and to get it out of her. Wondering if I'm going to cause even greater damage. Do something. There came a moment when Jairus the high priest, Jairus, the synagogue ruler, there came a point that Jairus' wife, I believe, looked at him, went in there and screamed at him, Jairus, she's dying, do something! There were no ambulances, couldn't go to the ER. And so he does the only thing that he knows to do. He goes to this Galilean fisherman. I'm in this Galilean carpenter surrounded by fishermen. And he says to him as he bows on his knees, my daughter is dying and I need you to come. Warren Wiersbe said this, he said one cap crowd, the Gadareans, the Gerasenes, in the first part of chapter 5 of Mark, one crowd sighed with relief as they saw Jesus leave. They asked him to leave, but another crowd was waiting to welcome him when he returned to Capernaum. In that latter crowd stood two people who were especially anxious to see him. Jairus, a man who had a dying daughter, and an anonymous woman suffering from an incurable disease. It was Jairus who approached Jesus first, Wearsby said, but it was the woman who was helped first. You remember that? A woman comes through the crowd. We looked at this. We're back into the series, fixing our eyes on Jesus. You remember this woman who had this incurable disease? The Mark tells us, Matthew tells us, Luke tells us that she had expended all of her money, all of her resources trying to get well. She had done everything that she possibly could do. She could not get better. And in desperation like Jairus, she thinks to herself, if I can just creep and sneak my way through the crowd and just brush my finger on the tassels that will hang from his robe, I'll be healed. And she does it. And immediately the Bible said that when she did this, she was healed, immediately made well. I remember years ago I was speaking at a, at a military base, a British base there in England. And I, uh, we kind of hit it off. There were two African-American soldiers of ours, female soldiers, that were just precious. We just fell in love with them. And so we had invited them to our home. They'd come and they'd eat in our home. And, and we'd sit around and sing. And these two African-American young women who were in our military, Air Force, um, they, they, were just, they were just godly Christian women. They were just great. 
And so one Sunday, they came to the British church where I was pastoring. They came and they sat down. You have to understand, in this British church, I don't know that an African-American, I don't know that a black man or woman had ever been in this church before. And so all these British were looking at these two beautiful African-American women, soldiers in our Air Force, and very, you would be proud of the quality of these soldiers. And at a certain point, I turned and I said to one of the women, I said, would you sing? And she stood up. She walked in this strange British church and she began to sing these words. Let me read them. Shackled by a heavy burden neath the load of guilt and shame, then the hand of Jesus touched me And now I am no longer the same. He touched me. And when she began to sing that, as only an African-American can sing, that old spiritual feel began to come up out of her soul. And she began to sing. I looked at those British men and women. All of them were wiping. You could hear sobbing. And at the same time, the woman, the other soldier, stood up and she began to join with her. She came up and they both began to make a duet. They begin to sing. Let me read the rest of it. He touched me. And joy, well, let's see. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened and now I know he touched me and he made me whole. When I read this woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment, I thought, what a song that would exemplify how Jairus here. Imagine, we talked about this. Here's Jairus. The Bible said, Matthew tells us, that Jairus was the synagogue ruler. Now let me tell you, he was the administrator of the synagogue. He was a position of power and authority. He, he determined who spoke in the synagogue. He literally had some sway or impact even over the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes and the legal officials. He was a no-nonsense person who represented Judaism. Matthew said he comes and he falls down at the feet of Jesus and the Bible said he worshiped Jesus and then he began to say, Lord, my daughter is dying. And every parent in this room who's been in that situation and knows what I'm talking about, you know the desperation in your voice. Right? My Order is tied. But there's only one problem. Jesus wraps his arm around Jairus, and as they're making their way through this massive crowd, listen, the language in the Greek implies that it is thousands of people. Thousands of people, and here's a desperate dad trying to maneuver his way through the crowd when all of a sudden Jesus stops and this father's trying to hurry it up. My daughter's dying, Lord. And he stops. Hey, we're given privy. We see the background. We know the inside story. Jairus doesn't. The crowd doesn't. The disciples don't. They're just all of a sudden Jesus stops in the middle of thousands of people that are pressing in on him. And he says, who touched me? The disciples laugh and say, Lord, (laughs) you see the crowd. Everybody's touching you. 
And he said, no, somebody touched me. A power left me. Who touched me? He's looking through the crowd. Does he not know? Oh, he knows. She's hidden over there. Oh, he knows. And all of a sudden, this figure that is crouched down, hiding in desperation. She's broken Levitical law. She's made the entire thousands of people unclean. She's touched Jesus. He's now Levitically unclean, and yet at the same time, she says, I'm, I'm, I'm well. <laughs> and she comes and she says, Lord, I touched you. I don't know about you, but I'm, if I'm Jairus, I'm saying, Lord, it doesn't matter. She's well, let's go. We don't have time. We don't have time for niceties and manners here, Lord. My daughter is dying. She is healed. She is well. Leave her and let's go, Lord. And I wrote down, I thought to myself, I thought, number one, Jairus was willing to wait. No, Jairus had to wait. Lord, my daughter is dying, but he had to wait. Why don't you turn to somebody near you and say, you know, sometimes we have to wait. She had to wait. And you and I may have to wait, right? There are times in our life that we pray and we cry out to God and we want God to answer us. And God says you're going to have to wait. I wrote down sometimes God may interrupt your schedule, your plans, your agenda. Sometimes God may want you to wait because He has something to show you that will change your life forever. God does not work on your schedule. He works on His. But I want you to hear me here. There's a principle here. You ought to write it in front of your Bible. God's, listen, God's delay is not His denial. Just because God's delaying doesn't mean that He denies. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 40, 28. He said, through 31, He said, Listen, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagle. He uses the word hope there. In the Hebrew, it is the word kavah. It means to eagerly hope and expect. I think Jesus looked at Jairus, and Jairus is desperate. When Jesus said, who touched me? And they get into this conversation. I believe Jairus is saying, what, Lord? My daughter is dying, and you're trying to figure out who, who touched you, Lord. And then he watches this scene as this woman comes and she's all well and she's praising God. And he says, okay, Lord, she, she's well, Lord. Please come on. You know what Jesus looked at him and said, Jairus, hang on. It's all right. I'm going to take care of you. Your daughter's going to be all right. I've got this. As Sheila, your pastor's wife, that's her favorite statement. She loves that. I hear her say that on the phone. She says that to people all the time. She says it, she'll say it to a total stranger. God's got this. They'll look worried and anxious, and she'll say, God, hey, let me tell you something. If you are a Christian, a child of God, never forget, no matter where you are, what you're going through, God's always got it. Amen. He's sovereign. He's in control. And you know that. Let me ask you a question. Has God asked you to wait lately? 
Has God hit the pause button on your prayer request? Has God hit the pause button on your life and on your plans and just said, stop? I want, listen, I want you to be still for a while. You ever do that? Man raising kids. Oh my, a legend, Jeffrey. You've heard me tell horror stories. It was horrible. You know, they, could, you would, they would be upstairs and you would think the, the house is getting ready to cave in. We would want, there would be no bowls. And that, where are the bowls? All the bowls are upstairs. Crusted over with old cereal and left up there until we finally go up and round them up. And listen, sometimes you know what parent, you know what it's like. You're sitting there and, and you have to, to stop them and slow them down. You have to say, look at me. Don't look away. Now, look at me. And then finally you hold their face. Look at me. Calm down. Calm down. Look, look at me. That's what God did with Jairus. And that's sometimes what God does with you and I. Sometimes Jesus Christ in that moment just holds our face in his hand, whether it be in prayer, whether it be in Bible study, and all of a sudden a peace comes over you, a quietness. And in that moment, you know what God's saying? I've got this. Calm down. Calm down. It's all right. I've got this. You know, I had all kinds of things that I wanted to share, but I don't have time. I was going to take you to John chapter 11, where you remember when Lazarus was sick, and Mary and Martha sent a messenger and said, you know, your friend Lazarus is sick and you need to come. Hey, listen, it was no big journey. It was just a, I mean, it was a half day at the most. It was nothing. You know how long it took Jesus to get to Lazarus? Four days. And you know, the disciples, uh, you know, they kind of brought up, Lord, don't you think we need to be going? I mean, he's sick. You know, he's near death. And the Lord said, listen, this sickness will not result in his death. It's going to result in the glory of God. Listen. And you know what? When you remember when Mary and Martha, hey, Mar Martha goes out there to meet Jesus. And she says, Lord, he's dead. I think she walked out there and said, well, it's about time you got here, Jesus. You could have got here in a matter of a few hours. But you're four days too late and my brother is dead. And Jesus brings up the resurrection. And I believe she becomes irritated at that point. Oh, I know there'll be a resurrection. I know he'll be raised up. You know what he said to Martha? He said, Martha, I am the resurrection. He never attended a funeral he didn't raise. The dead. You know where, Mar you know where Mary's at? I'm not even going out there. But she finally has an encounter with Jesus. You know what Jesus says? He says, listen, the reason you had to wait was for my glory and the glory of the Father. 
In other words, I'm getting ready to do something that's going to be a lot better than raising up your sick brother. I'm getting ready to call him out of the tomb. And everyone listen, according to every New Testament theologian, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And the reason he had to say, Lazarus, come forth, because if he had said, come forth, every grave would have opened up. He just said, you've got to wait. Let me say it again. God's delay is not His denial. Your deliverance may be coming, but God may be telling you right now, you need to wait because I'm going to get a lot more glory out of you waiting than if I answer this prayer right now. Has God called you to wait? Number two, that interruption was to strengthen Jairus' faith. You think about it. Why did Jesus do that? I mean, we had a girl die, 12-year-old daughter dying, a man desperate, a man crying, a man screaming, probably, Jesus, please come on. And Jesus is trying to figure out who touched him and power left him. Why? Why would he do that? I wrote down here, the woman with the issue of blood was not an annoyance or an inconvenience to Jairus. She was a faith-building opportunity. Why did Jesus do all that? Because he was trying to calm a father. Your daughter's sick. This woman just touched the tassel of my garment and was healed. If I can handle this situation, I can handle yours, Jairus. Let me ask you something. Is God making you wait right now about something? Is there something in your life right now, something that weighs heavy on you, something, but right now God's making you wait. You feel like God has put your prayer request on pause. Thirdly, Jairus was about to be interrupted with messengers who were getting ready to give him the worst news that a parent will ever give. Your daughter is dead. Let me tell you, if you've ever had to give that news to somebody, I've had to give that news to people. If you have to tell a parent your child has been killed in a car accident and you're the one, if you have to tell a man, pull him out of a business meeting and tell him his mother fell asleep at the wheel going home from work and went into a tree and, and she's dead, if you have to go to a brother and tell him your brother sat on your front porch and shot and killed himself on your front porch and you have to go tell the family, it's horrible. Horrible moment. Why did God, why did Jesus spend time identifying this woman and forcing her to come forward with her testimony was for Jairus. Because why? Because coming through those doors in a matter of a moment would be two messengers that would come to say, your daughter is dead, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Messengers were on their way. The news was grim. It was hopeless. It was death. But this woman would build his faith. I wrote down here that sometimes we're praying about deliverance. I want everybody, listen, 
Don't you dare doze right now. Everybody sit up and listen. If you don't hear anything else, hear this because I don't want you to misquote me here. Some of you in this room, let's say some of us, in fact, let's just be all of us, battle with a sin which doth so easily beset us. And the enemy gets into your head and the enemy says you're never going to be any better. You're never going to, you're never, hey listen, you're probably not a Christian. A Christian wouldn't behave like that, do that, act like that. You're probably not a Christian. The accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, he just literally pounds in your head. He just goes after you and especially he loves that sin, whatever that sin is, which does so easily beset you and you just feel so worthless. He'll even tell you, listen, don't bother to pray, don't bother to go to church. You're a hypocrite. You're no good. You just, you know, that's the way the enemy me works but I wrote this down that battle with the stronghold in your life whatever that sin which does so easily besets you may be first of all God reminding you of his grace teaching you that you cannot and I cannot muscle our way through that sin like we might do others it, he reminds us in that sin which does so easily beset us of His grace, His unmerited, undeserved, unfailing love for us, His mercy, His forgiveness. And He's also saying to you and I, listen, I'm going to give you victory over that. You're going to get victory in time. You just keep fighting the fight. You stay in my word. You stay in prayer. You stay in confession. You keep seeking my forgiveness and I will get you through even that sin that holds you in bondage right now. This woman was a faith builder. I think this woman actually literally looked at Jairus. I don't know that she didn't go along with the crowd. Hey, this is her. I think, I think she's so excited, so full of health and life right now. She looks at Jairus and says, Jairus, he's got this. Look at me. And that's you and I. Jesus would not leave that woman alone. He made her come forward. Why? Because she had a testimony that Jairus needed to hear. And that's you and I. Sometimes you and I are called to wait. Sometimes things don't work out the way we thought. Sometimes it seems like everything's going wrong in our life. Sometimes we're praying constantly. I mean, nothing's working out and nothing's going right. And all you feel is a peace that, where Jesus is saying through the power of His Holy Spirit, I've got this. You just wait. You just hang on. It's coming. Your trial, your suffering, my trial, my suffering, your pain, my pain, your heartache, my heartache will one day be our testimony. I said, put your spiritual antennas up and I'll close in a moment. Your willingness, my willingness to wait on the Lord, to suffer, to endure, is being watched by other people. Did you hear that? God's telling you to wait. He's not answering your prayer or you don't think He is. And people are watching you to see whether your faith is real or not. 
The old song said, if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that he could solve them. I wouldn't know what faith in God could do through it all, through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God through it all, through it all. I've learned to depend upon his word. I believe it was the unclean hand of that woman who had been healed who touched the shoulder of Jairus and said, trust him, your daughter will be fine. And I wrote this down. Jairus ran the synagogue. And I want you to listen. But had people become a routine, a ritual, a formality, an inconvenience, a nuisance, a frustration. Are people your ministry? Hey, listen. People are either your ministry or they are not. If you're walking around with your agenda, your plan, and it's all about you, your bank account, your job, your money, your stuff, and it's never about people, then my friend, you've got a problem. Because you're only here and I'm only here for one reason. That is to constantly be asking people, is everything all right? Can I pray for you? Do you see people as Jesus saw people? This past week, Amy, our daughter, sent a text. And it said, Dad... Pray for Owen. A little couple in their church, her pregnant with a baby, was told that the heart had not developed properly and that when the baby was born, the baby would die. Amy said, Dad, pray for Matt. That's my son-in-law. Pray for Matt as he goes to try to minister to this family. Amy asked me to pray. I was in a group text. I didn't even answer her. I immediately text Carl and Terry Volts. And you may say, why? Because their son, Josh, is in the military. And Josh and his wife also had a little baby. They had a baby girl. And she was diagnosed with exactly the same cardiovascular problem. But being in the military... And having the opportunity to be accessible to some of the greatest universities and, and some of the people that... The, uh, that little girl is still alive and doing well. And I said to Carl and Terry in a group text, I said, you know how to pray for this couple. And then later on, I text Terry, or Amy did, because we were trying to figure out, is there anything that can be done little Owen went to be with the Lord. He died. He was born, and then he died. But I told Carl and Terry, the waiting and the struggle and the wrestling that you're going through with your little granddaughter gives you the ability to minister to this family in a way that nobody else can. Are you having to wait? Are you going through a difficulty? Hey, let me tell you something. If you're a parent going through a difficulty, you, you need to talk to Sheila and I. Because they weren't all four prima donnas. We went through all the tests and the struggles and all the wrestling and the battles that you go through as well. But what we can tell you 
is there's light on the other side. And we can tell you that God has a plan and a purpose for your children. And never forget that. They're not here by accident. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now. And Lord, we just pray that you wrap your arms around us. That Lord Jesus, you fill this place with your Holy Spirit. And you give us a peace that passes all understanding. And maybe Jairus had been running the synagogue for so long. And Lord, I don't want to read too much into this, that he forgot about ministry, forgot about people. He forgot about why he was really there, why the synagogue was there. But now his daughter was dying. As he watched Jesus invested people being the most important thing in the life of the Savior, the Bible said he looked with compassion on the crowds. The Bible said even of the rich young ruler that would walk away, the Bible said Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Was Jesus teaching Jairus a lesson? Jairus, your role as the ruler of the synagogue is to see people the way that I see them. Lord, may we do that. May the person who stands behind the register awaken us to the opportunity, dear Lord, to look in their face and smile and ask how their day's going. May the waitress or the waiter who comes to us and serves us, may we take time to invest. May the doctors and the nurses and people we think don't have any problems, that everything seems to be going great. There's so many times that I've been praying at a hospital bed when all of a sudden I hear the sob. It's not the sob of, the, of a family member. It's the sob of a nurse. It's the sob of an attendant. As I've prayed for them and prayed for their family, only to realize that they were carrying a great weight. Lord, may we pray. May we be filled with eyes of compassion, a heart that sees people the way that you see people. Never, never uh, so busy that we can't be interrupted. We're always available. We're always accessible. We're always where people can get to us. May we realize that, Lord, we are here for one reason. And that is the Father of the Kingdom of God. And we cannot do that if we're so busy about our own agenda that we forget yours. And so, Lord, we pray right now that you wrap your arms around this congregation. And if there's one here today that needs to make a decision, that they will make it today, right now. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. You may need to come and spend a moment at this altar. You may want to come and kneel at that cross there. You may want to grab somebody else and say, would you go with me? If you've never received Christ and the Lord is dealing with you, you come right now. You may say, you know, I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Christ. You come.